So today I've been asked to, to speak about the giving of the law. Firstly, I just want to thank you for, for coming along. I realise there's a great sermon online um, and the weather's been miserable. So I really appreciate you being here, but it's, it's also nice to be together in the same room. So I've been asked to speak about the giving of the law. The law is not my most exciting part of the the Bible. It's not something that I get massively excited about. Uh, there, there's lots of other bits of the Bible that would excite me more. I love the big battles. I love the stories of God's people winning. I don't particularly like the details about the law. It's never really excited me. Uh, at the moment, there's a lot of laws. There's a lot of laws about wearing masks, about how many people you can invite to your birthday party. There are even laws that mean you have to finish up in the pub by 10 o'clock. So, I, yeah, one less pint. That's, it's tough. I don't like laws. Laws seem to get in the way. They're irritating. They're annoying. Um, but I do understand, reluctantly, that the laws for coronavirus, they make sense. They're there for our protection. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of laws that are getting wrong and they keep changing and it's messy, but the heart behind them is really good. People are setting those laws for a reason. They're there to protect us. They're there to be helpful. I'm personally a big fan of organized fun. The best kind of fun is organized fun. To, to play games, we always need rules. We need people to play by those rules for the games to be fun. Recently, there's been a game called Four Guys on the internet. Uh, you might have heard it. Um, it's quite popular at the moment. Uh, there was a big case of a lot of people cheating. And if you're cheating, that kind of ruins the game for everyone else. And rather than try and ban people, what they did is they put all the cheaters together on the same online map. So all the cheaters were playing against each other. And none of them had a great time. Like, it ruins the game. If you cheat, it doesn't work. The rules are there for a reason. There's also a Thomas the Tank episode. And Thomas is, uh, I mean, he... He's a very helpful engine, a very useful engine, but he gets annoyed at one point. And he's like, why? Why have I got to stick to all these timetables, the schedule? Like, why have I got to listen to the fat controller? Like, who is he anyway? Um, it's a bit like the trains on Southwest Railways. But, the, uh, <laughs> but what he does is he just sets off on his own. Just sets off on his own, on the tracks, like following up off Franz Sodor. Where's he gonna go? Ignores those red signals. Keeps going. Keeps, it's fine. Nothing bad has happened. But eventually he, he does derail. He ends up in a ditch. It's all a bit embarrassing. It's a bit awkward. It's not good when we break those rules. They, they can be useful guides for our lives. But hang on. There are plenty of stupid laws. There are laws in this country about handling a salmon suspiciously. I don't know what that looks like but apparently that's against the law. There are laws in London about beating your doormat outside after 8 a.m. Before 8 a.m. is fine, but after 8 a.m. that is against the law. Uh, and then there's that famous law about shooting a Scotsman from the walls of York. As long as you do it with a crossbow, it's okay. It's not something I'm recommending, I'm just pointing out it's a stupid law. And there are other laws that seem really petty. Uh, I know of some places where if you keep your grass uh, and you've got grass outside your property and it grows too tall, you can get fined. Or there are laws about not playing a saxophone after 10pm. I mean, it makes sense to be nice to your neighbours, but 
some of these laws seem very petty. Like, why are you concerned about these details? Just look at the bigger picture. But well, if you want to find some really crazy laws, let's look at the Bible. There are some bonkers laws in there. Like, you look at burning yeast. It's against the rules to burn yeast. It's against the rules to wear clothes of different colours. There are rules about hairstyles. There are rules about diet. And there's an awful lot of law about mildew. But fortunately, even the Jews back in Jesus' time, they realised that not all these laws were as relevant. Not all these laws were to be thought of in the same way. Some of them were to do with being a holy people, set apart for God. For instance, they weren't allowed to scar or tattoo their bodies, because that's what the pagans around them did. They needed to look different. They weren't to cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. People did that as a superstitious thing. They'd do that for the fertility of the land and then sprinkle it on the land. Like the Jews, they weren't so superstitious and they weren't supposed to look superstitious. They needed to act differently. But th- uh, secondly, there were judicial laws. So when God gave Moses some new laws and all this system of law, he was also giving them systems of justice. If someone stole a cow, what you want to do is you want to hunt them down, take all their cows, kill them, kill their families, take their land. That, that would make sense, wouldn't it? At least back then it seemed to kind of make sense. That would mean you didn't have your cows going missing again. But actually God's law was about justice. It's about a kind of commensurate punishment for working out how to do things fairly. And there's a whole system about how to do things fairly. It was really countercultural at the time. And some of those laws, some of that idea still is relevant. And that forms the basis of laws today in lots of the Western world. So there's the first two categories, the ceremonial laws, the judicial laws. But there's also moral and ethical laws. These are a kind of deep, profound laws. These are unchanging And they really help us to understand God more than maybe some of those other laws. These laws can act as a guide for our lives. They guard us against doing things wrong and making mistakes. But they also help us to acknowledge when we go wrong. They act as a mirror pointing out, yeah, I'll own up to this. God said it like this, but yeah, I've fallen short. I think that's the category that these uh, commandments that we looked at from the passage earlier Um, I think that's the category that they they fall into. Anyway, a little background to the passage. So the Israelites, they've been delivered from slavery. Uh, You know, last week we talked a bit about Moses uh, leading the people and we had, there's a lot of plagues and things that happen. I think most of you are familiar with that. And the Jews have managed to escape slavery. They're now wandering across the desert. Uh, They don't really know what they're doing. It's a little bit intimidating. They don't quite know where they're going. They're just following God and following his instructions. So God, uh, in the previous chapter to where the passage comes from, God has pointed Moses to what he's done. He said, look, I've I've already freed you from slavery. I'm that powerful. I can free you from slavery. And though the whole earth belongs to me, everything belongs to God. I'm going to give you some laws, some rules, so that you can become my treasured possession. So that you can become closer to me. 
well, it sounds kind of exciting, doesn't it? All the people then, they have washed themselves, have a nice bathe. I guess walking around the desert uh, isn't too good for, for what you smell like. Um, and they want to prepare for seeing God. They gather around the mountain, Mount Sinai, and the mountain's covered with smoke. And then, well, at the beginning of the passage, we read, and then God spoke these words. That's, that's incredible. Like God, the creator of the universe, who was there in the beginning, will be there in the end, forever shall be. He spoke these words. He spoke them to just some people stumbling through the desert. He chose them and he spoke directly to them. He gives some very simple laws. So simple. I mean, some of the Ten Commandments, they're things like, do not murder. I think I, think I knew that one already. Isn't that obvious? But when God gives it, it acts as a foundation for our lives. Too often we try and make the laws more complicated. It's interesting that when an expert of the law speaks to uh, speaks to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, have you not read about the law and the prophets? Uh, and you know, as a summary of that, what you need to do is you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But then the expert of the law says, well, what exactly do you mean? Who is my neighbor? I'm trying to define the li- my liability. What's the limit of this law? Is it possible that I could perhaps set up a limited company called an expense and then write it off as a tax deductible? How can I limit, what's the minimum I need to do to get away with this? Although Jesus approves of the Pharisees tithing even a tenth of their herbs and spices from the garden, from their gardens, just as it says in the Old Testament, just as the law says, he approves of them following the letter of the law. But he says you've neglected the really important stuff. Justice, mercy, faith. God's laws are simple, but they have massive implications. Okay, let's get into the, there are three commandments in our passage. We'll have, firstly, look at the, the first commandment. The first commandment of them all is to have no other gods before God. Oh, that's easy, isn't it? I mean, there's not, an, there's not another temple, a temple over there to some other God that we can go and worship. Um, there's, there's no other rival temples. I haven't recently visited lots of other temples. I'm, I've got that one sorted. Haven't I? Take a moment to think about where you put most of your time and your energy. Where's most of your thought life spent? Is it in your career, money, life goals, family? And where are they in relation to God in in your priorities? Maybe even you say, well, God's, God's number one, but two, two, I mean, my career is pretty important to me. I want to progress. Like, I want to move on. I feel that's really important. That's not what God's saying. Like, he wants no other gods before him, even in his sight. He's so at the front that nothing else is there. He is number one by a long way. This is really countercultural. Back in the day, people would go and worship Baal, the god of weather, the god of finance, or they'd worship Ashtoreth, the god of sex. Obviously, nobody would worship those gods now. 
Maybe we're likely to prioritize consumption, the things that we really want, or prestige. All that stuff, that's against this first commandment. The second commandment, the second commandment's about making images and worshiping them. I wanna make this clear, it doesn't mean that we can't have any pictures. It's about making the image and then worshiping it. In fact, God demands some cherubs in the temple. When, he, when he's looking for decorating the, the temple in Jerusalem, he demands some cherubs. So it's fine to have some images, nice things in your house, it's great. What he's concerned about is where your heart is. I was in uh, Nepal last year, uh, about this time last year, uh, there were lots and lots of people going through these cave systems. It was a really beautiful place to visit. Um, there was a big surge of people, a big queue of people. And being an Englishman, I joined the queue. Uh, and everyone was piling in to see a red stone cow. Uh, and they were blessing it and they were putting, uh, sacrificing food and they had flowers. It, it, it was kind of weird. But a lot of the time we put faith in the things that we build, the things that we can touch. That seems easy, but ultimately they'll get destroyed, they'll be corrupted, they'll stop working. As anyone who's put too much faith in their phone will know. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is from 1 Samuel chapter 5, where the Philistines, the Philistines are the bad guys, Philistines have stolen the Ark of the Covenant. They've managed to capture it from the Israelites. The Ark of the Covenant is the thing that you see in Indiana Jones. That's where the presence of God resides. It's a, it's a precious thing. And somehow the Philistines have captured it. They've won. They've beaten the Israelites' God. They take the Ark of the Covenant and they take it into the temple of their God, the God Dagon. Dagon sounds pretty cool. It's a cool name. And there's a massive statue of Dagon. He's this huge stone statue of Dagon. And they leave the Ark of the Covenant in the temple with Dagon. Next day they come back and Dagon is lying face in, the du- face in the dust, lying face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. It's a bit weird, isn't it? So next they, they decide, well, we'll tidy that up, sort the chairs out again, prop Dagon back on his pedestal, uh, come back the next day. And Dagon is fallen down in front of the Ark of the Covenant again, his head in the dust, but this time smashed up. If we put our our faith in those physical things, ultimately they'll break, they'll corrupt, they'll be destroyed. If we don't worship God, even the rocks cry out. There's a, a bit there in the passage that I think is quite challenging, the bit about... God being jealous for us. He is jealous for us. He's not jealous of us, he's jealous for us. He loves us and he wants us to be with him. I don't know if you've been in a situation where maybe your your girlfriend's gone off chatting to this other guy. And they're chatting, they're sort of flirting, she's laughing at his jokes. And you get jealous, you get jealous of that guy. I'm jealous for her. And that's a bit like God's jealousy. He, he wants us to turn to the things that are, that are worth it. He wants to, us to be bound to the important stuff. He wants us to be bound to him. 
And then it goes on to say that he will punish to several generations, but, but importantly, he will love to thousands of generations. If a nation hates God, yes, there will be punishment. God is a just God. But there is so much more love, and that love is so much longer lasting. He is slow to anger and quick to love. On to the third commandment then. The third commandment is about using God's name. He wants us to be holy. There's a lot of swearing and people using God's name in the media and dramas, on TikTok, in schools, in workplaces. Uh, But God wants us to keep it special. He wants us to treat his name with respect. This is really countercultural. I work in an office, or normally I go in the office, but uh, there's about 80 of us. Uh, It's 90% blokes between 25 and 35. It stands out that I don't swear. People notice it. Okay, so many people would point out that in the New Testament, say in Hebrews 8.13, but there's lots of other places where it says similar things. It says that the old covenant has passed and the obsolete and outdated things, they'll disappear. I like to think that includes a lot of the regulations about hairstyles and about eating shellfish. But the law is still there and it's still useful for us. It says that not even one punctuation mark will be scrubbed out from the law. It's all useful. But the difference is that we've got Jesus. And Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice. He's fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled all of that ceremonial law. God was never interested in dead animals. He's never interested in sacrificed animals anyway. What he's interested in is our hearts. Jesus fulfilled what Jeremiah prophesied about the law being in us. When, when the spirit is being given to us, the law, law is written on our hearts and we can be guided by his spirit. Not just with all the scripture and all the law, but we've also got his spirit in us to help us discern what is right and what is wrong, which way to go. We'll often fail at keeping the law. He knows that. But we do have his spirit and we have that ability to get closer to him, to follow his law, to be his treasured possession. I want to finish with one last little thought. When we come to church, we look to the front and there's not a great deal there. I mean, there's, there's an empty cross, there's an altar with a few bits on it, um, there's some other clutter at the front. There's not a great deal to see. There's no big statue of Dagon. I mean, I, I think that'd be quite cool, but it wouldn't be good. Um, the, the temple in Jerusalem was really unusual at the time because they didn't have a big statue of their God. What they had is people. There were people in the temple. We learned a few weeks ago how humans are made in the image of God. That doesn't mean we're mini-gods. The same as a sculpture isn't a human being. Making a sculpture isn't the same as making a human being. But we're made in the image of God. We reflect something of his spirit. In ancient times, maybe the emperor or the king, they'd have portraits and statues made of them. uh, And they would get taken to all the corners of the empire, places where the people would never see the king or the emperor. Uh, And even those statues, those images, they had authority. People would treat them with respect and even bow down to them. In some ways, we bear the image of God. 
the people out in the world that we meet might not be able to see God, but they can see us. They can see a reflection of God. They can see a reflection of his love. This week when we go out, we can go out sure in the knowledge that yes, we've got the law. We've got the, the summary of the law. What we need to do is to love God with all our heart, soul, body, mind, strength, and to love others just as we love ourselves. But we can do that in the security that while we were still sinners, while we were still slaves, God saved, saved us. Jesus died for us. Yeah, we can do that knowing that he loves us, knowing that he's paid the ultimate price, knowing that the law is complete in him.